0: Welcome everyone to POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Dude, we got another guest in
1: the SF studio, Max Bronstein, my ex-co-worker, now with Dharma.
2: How you doing, buddy? Doing well. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Max, so tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into crypto and how did you land working for Dharma?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, so, My kind of, uh, I guess, background with crypto dates back to uh, about 2014, Uh, kind of the proverbial story. Um, My friend was actually kind of doing a fake ID order um, and was actually meeting someone in downtown LA to, you know, uh, give them cash for a USB drive. I don't know why he didn't just purchase it with fiat at the time. Um, Didn't really look into it then. Um, A good friend of mine who I lived with uh, sophomore year actually brought it to me. Uh, in 2015. And we were just kind of like, going down the rabbit hole. Actually, it was a video um, that Chamath had posted just kind of describing the potential for Bitcoin and um, just kind of sent me down like the, the rabbit hole. Um, you know, me and my friend got super excited about Bitcoin. Wait, so this is 2015? This is 2015. For context. So you're rich, right? Yeah, no, no comment. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> Kidding. That's the right answer. Um, but yeah, so me and my friend, we got super excited and we actually kind of chartered the UCLA Bitcoin Club at the time. Um, and it's pretty funny. Back in 2015, we like tried to, you know, coordinate with, you know, the LA Bitcoin meetup. And for our first meetup, we actually had three total attendees, which was awesome. <laughs> um, and then we, you know, held another meetup in which one of like the finance professors actually like Skyped in Jed McCaleb to talk about his recent project, Stellar, which at the time kind of uh, went over my head. But pretty you know, funny looking back. Um, you know, fast forward, I got a kind of summer fellowship with the UCLA VC fund and they were like, you know, we want to connect you to different startups. And I was like, all right, I really want to work in crypto and blockchain. This is interesting. Uh, got an internship at a company called Gem out in Venice, which was like the only crypto company in LA at the time. Um, did a PM internship there, kept going deeper down the rabbit hole, uh, got connected to BTC Inc., Um, Worked as a venture associate at BTC Labs, kind of the special projects arm uh, of the company, did some advising work, uh, a little bit of kind of sourcing and diligence. Um, And then, you know, around kind of early 2018, really saw this sort of emerging uh, landscape of kind of just like financial uh, services being built on Ethereum, to me kind of felt like the next frontier um in what made sense for this technology, kind of thinking of smart contracts as another version of like programmable money. Um, you know, got connected with Dharma uh kind of middle of twenty eighteen and then started uh October first.
0: Yeah. Started October first with Dharma?
2: Yeah, October first, twenty
1: eighteen. I was gonna say I remember when you left BTC, I no one was really talking about open finance, at least on my Twitter bubble. Yeah. So you were definitely a little bit before the meme went viral in the past like three or four months. But what was, like, tell me about, like, how do you kind of discover DeFi, open finance, that kind of stuff? And
2: where did you, like, kind of see the potential? Yeah, um, I don't think there was anything, like, specific that triggered it. When I, whenever I looked at Ethereum, um, and, and I kind of felt at the time, right, the market was getting definitely bearish on Ethereum. And kind of want, I wanted to see maybe, like, there is actually value underneath all of it. And when you kind of think about what the ICO bubble was, a lot of people, I think Ryan Selkis and uh, Arjun Balaji described it, right, as a kind of distributed investment bank. Um, To me, that kind of struck me as something interesting um, in that, like, that is a financial service, right? People were using Ether as an investment tool, granted, highly speculative. And then kind of dating back to, I think, just like the... Core ideas of blockchain, right? We created a digital bearer instrument with Bitcoin. You know, it was used in illicit commerce, which to me is a financial service. Uh, then, kind of the meme was people in China were using it to, you know, kind of uh, do capital flight. Again, a financial service. You know, now people in Bitcoin are using it to store wealth. To me, as a financial service. Um, and now people in Ethereum are using it to invest. So I was kind of like, finance seems to be, you know, a very kind of symmetric meme in this this whole technology. Um, And then, you know, you look at projects like Dharma, Zero X, you know, Set Protocol was kind of discussing some stuff at the time. Um, And I was like, all right, there's a pattern emerging here. And, you know, people like to complicate what's happening, but it's just essentially like financial engineering in a new way of just securitizing data. But now it's owned by a private key.
0: Yeah, I totally see a lot of resonance with what you just said and some of the emerging narratives I see coming out of big Ethereum people. Uh, Like Eric Connor, Ryan Sean Adams are really big proponents of how Ethereum 1x is just fine for what it needs to be, uh, which is a not a super fast system, but that can really handle open decentralized finance uh, and and kind of create the platforms around that. Um, So there's a lot to be said there about the bullishness for open finance specifically on Ethereum, even in Ethereum's current non proof of stake form.
1: Wait, so is it open finance
2: or is it DeFi?
0: Yeah, it's currently being settled. Sounds like uh, Twitter's on on it.
2: So yeah, a little bit of actually context, uh, you know, kind of for your listeners. Um, so Dharma is, is has definitely been involved, you know, in the in the DeFi meme. Uh, you know, we kind of organized the the subreddit, the the website, Telegram channel, um, and we did a couple events, a couple DeFi summits. You know, we by no means um, own it, and actually have deliberately been like thinking of how can we allow anyone to really. Kind of attached to this meme, hosts meetups globally. Like this needs to be like a mass movement, and you know, huge credit to Brendan Forrester at Dharma for just leading this charge. Uh, but it's pretty funny. One of my coworkers, Sidra Mesh, you know, I kind of wake up at seven a.m. and you know, he's just posting all the stuff to Twitter, pretty much asking people like, so which is it now? And that kind of sparked this, you know, further debate. Um, and we were just joking internally because like is almost like people are forking memes now and to figure out what's better. And and it's really actually, you know, taken hold. The way I would, I would, uh, describe it as open finance probably makes sense as like a long form description. And is probably a more clear path forward right now. DeFi is the meme that, you know, the people kind of rally behind. Um, I do think if we want completely decentralized finance, number one, those definitions just aren't set. Um, and we probably have, uh, a bit of a ways to go until we're there.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. There was a, a poll that somebody started, I think it was Anthony Cisano, uh that was open finance or decentralized finance. Maybe it was Eric, one of the two. Um, i I'm, I'm a fan of both. I personally voted for open finance simply because uh, decentralized finance, I don't think um, the average non-crypto person that, or people I call muggles, I don't think they'll be able to understand it as well in comparison to open finance and open finance is a little bit easier to to say it's like it's open for everyone we're we're banking the unbanked we're unbanking the banked and it's it's permissionless but decentralized finance i think there's a number of steps in order to convince these muggles what the hell the value is
2: yeah i would agree on open finance is definitely more digestible i think you've kind of had this you know a fintech renaissance since 2008 right people's trust in the system shattered and a lot of entrepreneurs were like you know, technology is taking off. Let's just apply this to financial services. So Robinhood, Acorns, Stash, uh, Wealthfront, all these companies have kind of really been pushing financial literacy, you know, easier access to like digital financial services. And to me, open finance is just like an extension, right? We get interoperability. uh, We get way less settlement overhead. Um, You know, custody is a lot easier. Um, So to me, again, yeah, I just think we're kind of piggybacking off of existing innovation. So Max, what the hell does Dharma actually do, and what's your role there? Yeah, of course. Um, so within Dharma, there are I would say a couple moving pieces, which I'll describe. So Dharma Labs is the actual company, um, you know, that we work for, and our goal is to build infrastructure and end user products for a you know transparent, um, borderless, and programmable credit market that anyone in the world can tap into. Um, so the company kind of before I was there. Um, You know, brilliant engineers, they built and currently maintain Dharma Protocol, which is a, you know, open source uh, platform which developers can kind of build, you know, arbitrarily complex lending businesses on top of. In the same way that Stripe lets you accept payments, you know, with about six lines of code, um, Dharma Protocol will allow any engineer to integrate lending functionality um, into their company, business, website, app. And then uh, lastly, so Dharma Lever is a product we recently announced. Um, So it's built on top of Dharma Protocol, um, and Dharma Lever is essentially an easy to use, uh, trustless margin lending tool for, you know, crypto asset holders, hedge funds, market makers, Um, yeah.
1: Wait, so how do you leverage, how do you do leverage in a non, I guess, custodial, non-trustworthy way?
2: Yeah, so kind of going back to Ethereum and open finance, so smart contracts are actually really good at kind of taking money Um, escrowing that money, and then kind of distributing it based off of, you know, when different kind of logic events occur, right? So with Dharma Lever, you can kind of select an asset you want to borrow. Um, You'll have to supply collateral, but that collateral will be sent to a smart contract, which will custody the funds. And then, you know, if you repay your loan, you'll get back your collateral. If you default, the smart contract will actually liquidate the collateral to ensure that the lender gets paid back. Is the loan in like DAI or what's the loan in? So we currently support um, borrowing and lending for both uh, Ether and USDC. We will be adding support for DAI shortly as the community has de- has definitely kind of their uh, support for it. So uh, as well as wrap Bitcoin. So those are kind of the four assets that we plan to support uh, for the next couple months.
0: So instead of it, like with MakerDAO, it's al- algorithmic where um, you submit your Ether and you're allowed to draw so much DAI. Uh, with Dharma, is it a little bit more, um, case by case basis where it's you, uh, where a lender and a borrower are matched and they set the terms of the rules as to what the collateral is and what the borrowing asset is? Is that, is that kind of a, a true reflection?
2: It, it, it's somewhat correct. Um, theoretically and, and kind of in the end form, it'll be like a totally peer to peer market where borrowers and lenders are able to set the terms to whatever they want. Um, it could be under collateralized, over collateralized, um, But, you know, in the kind of the way it manifests itself, um, we will be sort of, you know, setting or suggesting terms um, for both borrowers and lenders. And it won't necessarily be like Maker in which you can constantly draw down debt if you want. You can, in Dharma Lever, you'll be able to over collateralize your loan past 150%, but you will receive the principal in sum. So let's say, you know, you... um, submit like $300 worth of or let, yeah of, of ether to the smart contract. Correct me if I'm on the math. You're you're able to draw down I think $175. Um, let's say you don't want to use all that money. You don't you can just leave it in your kind of wallet, but it'll all arrive in your wallet in one lump sum versus in maker, right? You decide when you want to actually draw down the debt. And I believe that figure is um, it's actually What's what's one point five times three uh, hundred? Or sixty-seven percent of three hundred is like what? Two hundred. God, dude, don't make me look bad so, like that. Jesus. Sorry for the on-the-spot <laughs> math. I should I should have got that one. Too. So Come the LTV on. is is around sixty-seven percent, right? That's the minimum. So mm-hmm. you would get all of that in your wallet. Um, you're able to do whatever you want with it, which is the same in Maker, right? You're able to draw down that much, um, but you know most people probably just leave it sitting in the CDP.
1: Okay, so I'm like a simpleton Bitcoiner here. Can yeah. you explain that to me like I'm five? Because I'm still pretty sure. confused. Like, what's the difference between Maker? I mean, obviously yep. you support different assets, but other than that.
2: Yeah. So a couple structural um, differences with Maker, right? When you, and I think we've, a lot of people have established that while Maker is producing like a stable coin, um, the way it is really being used right now is as a margin lending tool, right? It is a way to get easy leverage. Um with Maker... Sounds healthy. I- extremely healthy. Sounds it's part like of what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> Collateralize your Ether. Get die, Buy more Ether.
2: Put it back in the CDP. Get more die. It- repeat.
0: Oh, I only do it once. I only recurse once. If
2: you did want to you know, complete the rehypothecation cycle, um, you can use Instadap and you can actually get 3x leverage uh, on your Ether with a couple mm-hmm. of clicks. Um, yeah. But going back...
0: For experimentation, not for investments. Correct.
2: This is not this is not investment advice. Um, yeah. But yeah, and so going back to that with Maker, the main asset you can borrow um, is is Dai, right? So that allows people to you know access working capital um, and going long. Um, but it kind of leaves out a large subset of margin lending use cases, which is kind of going short um, and not necessarily like just going short, but just like hedging your portfolio. So if you think as the space institutionalizes and people, you know, people might have different opinions, I don't think we're going to see the crazy, as crazy of swings as we have more derivatives products, more, you know, mature capital comes in. Shorting is just like a very, um, you know, kind of crucial role. It plays a crucial role in, in just regular capital markets. And I think that's going to come to uh, crypto markets. Um, and then similarly with Maker, right, you're limited to... Die again. That's your only asset type versus Dharma lever. You'd be able to borrow, ether, die, USDC, RAP Bitcoin, and then, you know, others if if the community uh, so deems. So,
0: between MakerDAO, Dharma, and Compound Finance, there seems to be a lot of overlapping services, um, and I, I, I see a lot of competition between Compound and Dharma, whereas kind of compound is just this very easy to use money market where you can put up one collateral and get another. And then Dharma is a little bit more, it's like, it's like the Turing complete version of compound. Uh, whereas a a number of people can come in and, and put up terms of anything and compound is much more rigid. Uh, so after Dharma really gets up and running and adopted do you see much more room for compound finance between, um, Because to me, it seems like Compound kind of sits between Maker and Dharma, and it kind of just this interim piece of infrastructure that we won't really need if Dharma gets uh, maximally successful.
2: Yeah, so I I think, I I do think right now, Compound and Dharma are serving similar use cases. Um, But I mean, again, what Compound is really trying to do is they are trying to create, again, algorithmic money markets. And so the way money markets are traditionally used in kind of regular finance, right, um, you know. Any really like payment app, Robinhood, a lot of times while you, while you have these like long settlement times is because these companies are just lending your money out through money markets and they're earning a small interest rate. But a small interest rate on like a large float is a ton of money. So to me, I think what happens with Compound is they will probably get a lot of more developers to kind of integrate with their smart contracts. As more custodial wallets emerge, they will just be doing kind of short term loans. Um, and that's what Compound kind of you know, specializes in, right? They guarantee instant liquidity, um, meaning a borrower lender can can remove funds whenever they want. With Dharma, they're kind of fixed term loans. So we're optimizing more for kind of higher volume, um, higher volume like lending. So thinking more of like hedge funds that want large orders, market makers that need a lot to, you know, use in their operations. Um, versus yeah, compound, you know, and then they have like a variable interest rate model, right? So their interest rates are always fluctuating based on the kind of supply and demand and, or supply in the pool. Um, and like how that's manifested today is everyone wants to lend their assets, but no one wants to borrow any assets. So the lending rates are pretty abysmal and the borrow rates are pretty high. And I think the lending rates really don't even warrant people sending it to the contract because you're going to pay gas for fees And there is like some smart contract risk, like a bug was found in their DAI money market. Um, So yeah, that's kind of how I break down the two.
1: At one point, DAI was like 7% interest on compound finance. So that's kind of, I'm sure that arbitrage opportunity settled down a little bit, but some people were making a lot of money for a little bit.
2: Yeah. So Eric Connor and I, I think he did a bit of a deeper dive, but I mean, we, we kind of just looked at, uh, at the contracts and it, so our guess and what we found was that um, actually someone who participated in the uh, Ethereum ICO, um, big rep whale. So they were trying, they had a CDP that was at risk. Joey. And it, it was probably Joey. Um, but pretty much what was happening was they were paying down their debt and they were using Compound as a, just another, it was like pretty much synthetic multi-collateral DAI, right? So they were collateralizing their rep to get DAI to pay off the loan because they probably didn't want uh, to take on like a tax burden. So those like kind of use cases emerge and people definitely got like a short term bump from that, but that's kind of the issue, right? Like that's not guaranteed. And I think it's, I believe as of today, it was like at 2.4. So, you know, stability would be nice there. Mm -hmm. So
0: when it comes to Dharma, I believe the debt uh, comes in the form of one token and that token represents uh, something much more synonymous with a a piece of paper contract. Uh, Is that true? Is that how that works?
2: Yeah, so the underlying protocol, um, what it produces is we call them like Dharma debt tokens. It's essentially just a 721 token, um, right, with unique metadata pertaining to that uh, loan agreement. Um, the uni- what that kind of enables, right, is, you know, theoretically these tokens can be freely traded. And any time, um, you know, someone pays, uh, you know, pays that contract back, um, the money would go to the owner of the 721 token. So, you know, if me and Christian had a lending agreement in which he kind of owed me money, but I sold that to Dave, um, anytime you repay the contract, the money would go to Dave, right? So it's a much more efficient kind of system. Would you, as the original token Dave.
0: holder, have any any um, part in the contract at all, or are you totally removed from the deal once you sell the token?
2: In, in that scheme, I would be totally removed. But, of course, like, you know, software is malleable, so you could create different manifestations which you like you know a portion would go to the original uh creditor that's that's pretty neat
0: that sounds like that sounds like uh, ethereum lego uh the lego meme that I, that I keep sharing around on twitter it's like a very very important building block for a lot of very cool things to come into the future
1: so i think the question that everyone else is thinking is how do you feel about bitcoin
2: yeah so <laughs> it seems to be a hotly debated topic and my, uh, what I post on Twitter might not necessarily reflect how I feel about it. I love Bitcoin. Um, I came into this world a maximalist, have since been uh, reformed. I just think other things are a bit more exciting. But granted, I have not paid attention to lightning as much as I should be. And I'm definitely trying to be more conscious of that. Um, love Bitcoin. I do think the community is in a bit of a... Um, just kind of like thought bubble in which I think the community is like very negative to any views that they might not like. And it's kind of like when you hear something that's true,
0: the Bitcoin community.
2: Yeah. Honestly, all these communities are all pretty tribal, mm-hmm. but I think Bitcoin yeah. specifically, cause it has this kind of first mover advantage. It has this liquidity advantage. Everything is priced against it. They almost feel like they're invincible. Um, and it's, I'm kind of of the opinion that network effects can be broken pretty quickly. I think Hasu and Zusu posted like a really good piece on just like why monetary maximalism probably won't work or might not work. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I mean, religions and culture, these things have been around, you know, far earlier than Bitcoin was. And I think if we look at history, um people naturally split into different communities, um you know, values sometimes are hard to change, um people are just culturally different. So to me, I think in terms of Bitcoin, I love the I love the I love the like technology. I think it's a total breakthrough. Um, You know, I I do think that it has somewhat of a governance problem. Um, I do think users really don't have a say in how the network is run, even though I think some Bitcoiners would argue, you know, the kind of USF was a big success. Um, You know, I think mining, miner centralization is somewhat of an issue. Um, And I do think it kind of has, you know, been relegated to like a digital gold use case. Granted, a lot of other things in crypto just have no use case. Um, So to me, I'm kind of looking for, I'm looking for Bitcoin to be like a little more malleable. And I think this meme of like, we're never going to change has kind of like taken a a bad turn. Um, And I also think too, in general, like, you know, the way the network gets funded, right? You have different types of funding models, but like you have like, you know, Luke Dash Jr. Creating these like Kickstarter accounts. And I mean, if you've been a Bitcoin core developer for five plus years, I'm just curious as to how you haven't been able, you know, and everyone has their own like story, so that's not to judge. But um, I think there are just like infrastructural things that are could be fixed with Bitcoin, but the community just is, really does not seem to want to do anything about them or they kind of dismiss them as non-issues. But I love Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, my general thesis around Bitcoin is that its uh, absolute resilience to changing anything is... It's most powerful tool um, and has allowed Bitcoin to be spread to so many people so quickly because it's such an easy thing to communicate and ultimately it will be its downfall at the same time because Ultimately, it will need to change to to fix itself. And when that time comes and it doesn't fix itself, it will just be able it either won't be able to serve its purpose or just fall out of um, you know the global population's uh, desire for a adaptive currency. That's generally my idea. I think
1: Bitcoin not fixing itself is a meme, and I think it's incorrect. I think Bitcoin is perfectly good at fixing itself. And if you actually...
0: I'm talking about the supply, specifically the supply issuance. I don't think Bitcoin will ever change that. And that might need to be fixed.
2: I, I do have one question. Um, I, i again, and like I said, I need to re- really dig deeper into Lightning. And it seems like now it's its its not, obviously it's not like Turing complete, but Lightning is almost like the pseudo VM, right? Where people are going to start building, you know, apps or, or laps on Bitcoin. My, Doesn't sound as good. <laughs> yeah. My my question, though, is like, why would I want to spend my Bitcoin? Because right now you just could not convince me to spend it unless I thought we were in like an asset bubble and then I'd be like, I should sell so I can buy back more, you know?
1: I, I mean, I, I think that there's no incentive for anyone in the first world to spend their Bitcoin. I totally agree with that. There's very few people that actually need to spend their Bitcoin. But there is infrastructure to support that. Uh, If you listen to the Colin Harper episode, you can pretty much get a gift card for anything with Bitcoin and that will allow you to spend your Bitcoin and not have a bank account store your value. So that's pretty badass. Um, But yeah, you're right. There's no incentive and that's kind of the cart before the horse type thing and uh, why the fact that the Lightning Network has $2 million in it already. um, And that's known dollars, right? The Lightning Network is... Effectively anonymous at this point. If your node is switched to private, it does not broadcast its route or connections or uh, or in, or uh, amount of tokens inside of a channel. So, um, as far as we can tell, there's about two million dollars in Lightning Network, and that in itself is just people who are willing to experiment with it, which I think is pretty impressive. Um, ultimately, if you follow the S curve of adoption, theoretically. You know, the price can't appreciate forever, and then it will make more sense to spend it. And I would agree that Bitcoin will probably be part, at least in the short to midterm, part of a monetary stack. It can't be everything at once. But um, I, I definitely see a future where Bitcoin is the measure uh, or, you know, unit of account.
2: Yeah.
1: And if Bitcoin becomes a unit of account in any manner, um, I think that Bitcoin wins, even if you're not making a Bitcoin transaction for everything.
2: I think Ellen Meltem, who posted a good essay about her experience in the kind of um, oil boom, I think of right before 2008, actually, where this whole industry over-indexed really on, you know, the idea that there will always be this, like, natural demand. And so they just created a ton of supply expecting all of, you know, this demand to come through and they would service that demand and it would be a big party. But, you know, when uh, when push came to shove, there was no demand and, you know, uh, it was kind of a bubble, and then they built up all the supply, which they had to, again, liquidate. Um, and To me, I actually think that's obviously come true in crypto. And to me, with Bitcoin, right, and I think I actually have a good answer to this, but I'm curious what you guys think is what is the driver of demand? And if there isn't a strong driver and we're creating all of this supply, then doesn't it just turn into a form of commodity in which the price just reflects the cost to produce it?
1: I was going to say hashtag altcoins, but
0: I can't I can't give a confident answer as to what drives the adoption of Bitcoin um, and in specifically separate from the adoption of cryptocurrencies. Um, the, we could go back to the 21 million hard cap meme, which is enticing and easily communicatable. Um, there's the network effects that it has, the, the superior branding it has. When, um, when I say I work in cryptocurrency and people don't know what I mean, I say, do you know Bitcoin? And they go, oh yeah, that thing. So that's, that is a, maybe not a driver, but it's a, a collector of people who want to expand their financial options. I could name like five or six, like very small use cases of Bitcoin, but I think like 95% of it is speculation.
2: Yeah. I, I've gone a little deeper into, this might stray off topic, just, yeah, like the you know this modern monetary theory. And it, it's definitely interesting, and I, I would actually argue, um, and I argued a lot of my, like, ETH friends that um, I, I do think globally in the next, you know, I don't know how long, probably five years, I do think hyperinflation will continue to take hold in developed countries. I think if you look around globally, like, we obviously have these kind of geopolitical tensions, um, you know, in the kind of modern monetary theory thing or realm that we've been playing in, right, it's been fine for nations to take on a ton of debt, it's been fine for nations to in debt other countries. Um, but those have all been operating under the assumption that the world is moving fine, markets are fine. Um, but if we start getting into conflict, right, and debt start getting called, I don't really know what that leads to. And it's kind of like, if we were indebted to China for a billion dollars and we got called on our debts and we couldn't pay it back, that would be bad for us. But I don't know what the outstanding debt is to China, but it's in the multiples of trillions. They are just as equally screwed as we are if we can't repay their debt. Um, and I don't really understand, and I like I think people probably don't want to think about it, but I don't see a logical conclusion other than like some type of conflict. I don't know what that manifests itself in. Um but again, just the way that we have been printing money, um, the kind of, co- like, we're watching inflation take hold. Not necessarily inflation, but we are watching when you print a bunch of debt, we're watching it take hold. Wealth inequality is high. Populism is high. Uh, we've seen these, again, Ray Dalio is kind of doing his book tour, you know, and he kind of says, like, what this looks like. It looks a lot similar to, you know, I think, was it 1935, 1940. And the only reason we really got out of, that was because we nationalized the economy and cre- created a war machine. Um, so if something happens, right. And then we were able to get out of that, right, because, you know, we had all these people who were willing to work, all these people who needed jobs, and we created a very efficient economy. Um, I mean, I don't know, right, because what happened is like financials are in a really good spot. Banks aren't really levered. Companies are still sitting a lot of cash. Um, but the kind of the buyer of last resort at this point is the fed uh and kind of what happens when that liquidity source dries up right because they've just pretty much been propping up the entire economy for a long time and what goes up must come down so i, I do think bitcoin does see meaningful adoption as people try to get out of inflating currencies very
1: very well said and uh, fantastic just kind of explanation there i like to make it really freaking simple I like to say Bitcoin is going to be adopted for two reasons, either need or greed. I'm not in any way discounting the place of greed in the incentive structure. That's the beautiful beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that you can act purely selfishly and that's good for Bitcoin. So you can be greedy, you can get wrecked, you can do whatever. You can get filthy rich and it's good for Bitcoin, period. So speculation is a very important use case in, in Bitcoin's current uh growth trajectory we're trying to discover what the fuck is this thing worth Mm. you know price discovery happens via speculation in the market um and beyond that the need aspect we're seeing that today like whatever the use case is you need to flee your country with money what's the best way to do it bitcoin right if you need to send remittances in many cases bitcoin is becoming or cryptocurrency is becoming the best way to do it. Bitcoin's the most liquid, so that's why it's the best way to do it, right? Um, if you simply want exposure outside of the existing financial system as an investment or long-term speculation, you know, here's Bitcoin again. It's the best thing to use, right? So, uh, I mean, I, let's keep it simple here. Bitcoin is simply the most robust protocol that is outside of the existing financial stack, and it has a web of... You know, services tied to it, and it makes it very useful to speculate or exit the financial system.
0: Yeah, I, I generally agree with everything you said, but I just I always like to separate the qualities of Bitcoin from the qualities of cryptocurrency. And I think you could have made the same arguments by using just the term cryptocurrency, and you did. You did say like Bitcoin or cryptocurrency once. Um, and so I, I think a lot of the uh, reasons why Bitcoin maximalists are the way that they are is because they are, are leveraging not its finite supply meme, but its network effects and its uh, already grown adoption rate and its its branding. Um, and then and then I remember that cryptocurrency is really just a familiar industry to like one percent of people, and that doesn't really convince me. That it, that's just going to continue on in the same trend, uh, and so I, because when people want to, f- you know, flee flee their capital into safe havens, they aren't going for the 21 million hard cap. They're going for the sound money, and so so in so far that other protocols can offer sound money, uh, I think that's going to be exactly what they're they're going after. When people flee their capital out of the Argentine peso, or the Zimbabwe dollar. Uh, I think if you gave them the option between the U.S. dollar or Bitcoin, they would say, oh, yeah, give me the U.S. dollar. That's I know that stuff. That's the good stuff. Like, I'll take that. Um, and so insofar that we could we can offer them the U.S. dollar as a token on Ethereum, that, that works just as well, where they don't have to take on the currency risk of Bitcoin. Um, I'm sure they would gladly take on the currency risk of the dollar.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I think there's definitely, at least now that DAI has proliferated, USDC is, you know, kind of astronomically rising in market cap, people are kind of hypothesizing, is this kind of a, a threat to Bitcoin? Um, what I would also point out is, it, it's kind of funny, right? Everyone has these like heady theses, but like if you actually just look at the data, uh, to me, the most compelling part of Bitcoin right now, right now is purely as a, um, just another alternative investment for institutional capital. You know, uh, endowment theory has been proven. You want a bunch of idiosyncratic bets. That's how you diversify your risk. If you actually look at Bitcoin, I think since its inception, I don't remember the last time I looked at the chart. I think it was a month ago. But Willy Woo has just like um, the sharp ratios for different asset classes, uh, and Bitcoin, I believe, is is definitely the highest. I think it's over two. If you look at Bitcoin's correlation to most asset classes, it is completely uncorrelated. Um, so to me, and I think I think it is happening in the background as you know endowments are investing probably more into like venture funds. You know they're very patient, long term capital, um, but. I do think Bitcoin will have a massive, massive liquidity advantage just because institutions are and will continue to buy the asset purely because it's just a new asset class and it makes for a good bet if it's only like 0.1% of your portfolio. With that being
1: said, that's what network, network effects do, right? It's not really a coded in feature, but rather is the feature of where it is in the market and the brand and all this other stuff, right? So when is Ethereum ETF coming out in the U.S., right? It's not until a long time after the Bitcoin ETF comes out. Actually, it might not be that long, but Bitcoin ETF comes out first, right? The Bitcoin futures are already out. So like, what makes something good money is beyond just what's coded in. And uh, I think it's really easy to make false equivalents to cryptocurrency when we actually mean Bitcoin,
0: I kind of see the Bitcoin versus other, other cryptocurrency debate as like a it's like a big brother, little brother, big sister, little sister kind of thing where I have an older sister who's five years older than me and she got her first cell phone at like 17 and I got my first cell phone at 13. Uh, and it's just because like, hey, thanks, older sister, like you did all the arguing for me with the parents. You know, you you my parents didn't want to argue with me again. So I got my adoption of the, the technology earlier. Uh, And so and and we can see that with the number of Ethereum addresses versus Bitcoin, where uh, Ethereum addresses took like a year and a half to to reach where Bitcoin addresses are currently. Granted, Ethereum addresses function differently. And so there's more of them. Um, But this to adopt this like the Ethereum market cap has grown to a level it's like a t- 11 billion now, and it took Bitcoin most of its timeline to get to that to that point. And so I, I like I thank Bitcoin every single day for plowing through and, and making the adoption easier for everyone else behind it. Um, and so I, I think that the, the network effects lead is even though Bitcoin started um, uh, four or five years, you know, double Ethereum's lifetime ahead of Ethereum. Uh, I think that the actual lead that it has is is not really all that great. It could just be, you know, a year or less.
1: Yeah, so I don't want to make this uh, too kind of just us going back and forth on these talking points. I want to get more of uh, Max's opinion. So, Max, I would love to kind of get your thoughts on like, what's what's like your medium term kind of like predictions of like how this market is coming together? And then long term, it sounds like you believe in both Ethereum and Bitcoin to some extent. Are you like a multi-coiner? Like, what's what's kind of like your your worldview here?
2: Yeah. What are you? <laughs> what this is about identity, okay? <laughs> um, so first question: medium. We we talking like six to twelve months? I think that's short term. I'd
1: say medium is like five years.
2: Okay. Long term is
1: like we're talking about. Okay. Yeah, another decade.
2: Yeah, th- I mean this will be a free flow. I mean, in terms of five years. I really think it's just going to be a continuation of what we're seeing Um, in terms of, I think, the asset class will continue to get institutionalized. Um, I think more financial services will be built on top of Ethereum. People will iterate, build new things. Um, I do think Bitcoin will continue to get a run for its money. Um, People will continue. I think people will continue to fork Bitcoin. Um, I do think we'll run into governance issues around Bitcoin. I do believe in a multi-coin world. I don't think there's gonna be that many, um, because I think actually creating one, building a community network effect is just like insanely hard. And I just don't think people are really fit for that. I do think that at some point in the next like five years is a lot of time. I do think that given the design space that, you know, DAP developers have, I do think we will see, you know, some breakout application, um, I do think it's gonna be more finance related, but I don't know. I think Augur is something definitely to watch. Um, I can't yet tell you what the value is of everyone having uh, access to creating a financial market or participating in one, but I don't think you could have asked people in the year 2000, you know, what's gonna be the value of allowing anyone to publish information and create their own brand. Um, I just don't think those answers are necessarily clear. And I think those will get a lot more clear in the next like five years. in five years, I think Bitcoin is still probably owns like 35% of the total market cap, uh, maybe 30. Depends how many stable coins we get. Um, in terms of like super, super long term, um, super it's, it's kind of hard to say. To me, I, I think these are just kind of new... To me, blockchains, right, they're they disintermediate institutions, but they're going to turn into new types of institutions. I think people... By 10 years, um, you know, I'm hoping privacy is pr- proliferated. Um, I think data ownership um, is something that is going to change. I think I'm, I'm ex- I, I hate Facebook, big Facebook bear. I think in 10 years, Facebook's not around. We'll make that, we'll timestamp that bold call right here. Um, I think that network effect will just die out. Um, I, I
0: do think that- Does the, that include Instagram?
2: Um, yeah, I think it does actually, because- Again, people have their own experiences, but Instagram to me is also just like another shill fest. And I think the issue with Facebook is that they're going to continuously run out of ad space. Um, And whatever they do, again, their end goal is to find out everything about you whatever way possible and to sell you products. I do think I've read some interesting stuff. I do think they'll probably continue to pivot into this like direct-to-consumer They'll make it super easy to buy things. Um, but I kind of think that if the economy takes a really bad turn, (laughs) the rate at which we keep buying all this stuff is just going to fall because people are going to look at their portfolios. They're going to be poorer. um, They're going to stop buying so frivolously. And if we don't have as much money printing as we do now, I I just don't think people will be able to, you know, continue those habits.
1: So I think this is kind of an interesting twist here. Let's just say that I'm not even going to make the assumption that Bitcoin is sound money. Let's just say that we can have um, algorithmic sound money introduced the world. Do you think that that changed people's consumer behavior?
2: No. So I do know a lot of maximalists are big on the kind of savings meme. Um, you know, uh, this is another thing. I don't really believe in that. I don't think that's how society functions because debt is actually like a very important, just like investment primitive. Um, you know, everyone talks about the Dave Graver book, right? But if you actually look at it from an anthropological view, right. The first forms of money um, were were just debt agreements. Barter definitely took hold, but debt is just a much more um, like tractable way to live a life. I do think society needs you need investment, you need risk taking, um, and I think that is what debt provides. I think what happens is you obviously just see these like you know as Ray Dalio says you have kind of seven to eight year cycles where we obviously overextend because by the nature of what we're doing is asset prices go up. We feel richer, we take on more debt. It's like, hey, we're actually not able to pay that off relative to the value create. We correct and we start over. Um, so, so, yeah, I don't believe that society will ever revert to this Paleolithic age where we're saving every penny. I do think it's important, and I hope millennials do start saving more um, because right now the system is just not in their favor. Um, I, I can be convinced otherwise. I, I wanna see, I wanna see like, uh debt denominated in bitcoin if we're saying bitcoin is going to become the one i want to see debt being denominated in that asset if it's ever going to you know replace like the dollar
1: i know david wants to say debt is already being denominated in ETH. <laughs> is that what you're trying to say
2: no no
0: actually it's totally unrelated um kind of going back to to the ray dalio side of things and and human anthropology uh I was a psych major, and so I really kind of like, uh, and now now that I'm into the world of markets, I really like mass psychology. And I think there's something permanent about debt. Like, I don't think debt, debt is not something that humanity or society at large can really opt out of, because as soon as you save a bunch, uh, the more people want to lend to you. The more cash you have, the more lenders you will have knocking at your door at competitive interest rates. And at some point, Some lender offers you such a competitive interest rate uh, to borrow to, to let you borrow money that it just becomes inevitable and then you fall into debt. And so I don't I don't think humanity will ever be able to not the incentive to to be in debt is always there. And so it's kind of a yin and a yang where like. we it's going to be impossible for society at large to not have debt because debt is such a valuable thing to be able to have but at the same time we as soon as we accept debt um we accept the fact that every once in a cycle we will accept too much debt and then we will you know have burned down the house and we have to start anew i think that is a metaphysical faustian bargain that that humanity has has signed off on
2: yeah I, i agree and again revisiting this concept of debt as like an investment primitive, right? So debt actually plays like a really interesting role in the way we take risks. So think about it to start a company, um, you know, to fund really anything, you you probably have like two core ways of doing it. You can do it through equity, or you can do it through debt. Let's say I want to start a business. Um, You know, let's call this one like a lifestyle business, right? I'm going to sell, you know, I'm going to sell podcast equipment, um, and I'm like, you know, I could. L- let's say I take that. Are the you equity. saying something? <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is top notch equipment. Um, <laughs> was just staring at a microphone. But let's say I, you know, to raise m- money for that, you know, I raise uh, $100,000 and I give away, you know, 20% equity in that company. Uh, let's say in this case, or yeah, it's gonna be the same across both cases. This company does really, really well, you know, in a couple of years, I'm managing like a multi million dollar business, we're expanding, the podcast economy is taking off. Um, it's great. But I now my the people who own 20% of my company, they perpetu- they get a perpetual share of all the income I generate for the entirety of my company's life, right? On the flip side, uh, I take on $100,000 in debt at whatever interest rate to start my podcast uh, or my microphone company. It does insanely well. It's a multi-million dollar business. But after I've paid off my debt, I get to keep, I get to reap all of the rewards after that debt is paid off. So I don't have to give away 20% of my company all the time to someone who you know has a contractual right to it. I keep all of it. And so I don't think you can eliminate debt um, from society because it plays this role in risk taking in which... It's a little higher risk, but the reward is much greater. So I I feel
1: like, and again, I think this is a trend amongst a lot of people in this space. Is a lot there's a lot of talking past each other, um, and one big reason for that is that we don't have the same definitions. And it's kind of interesting that you referred to. Wait, whose book was it? I need to read it.
2: Yeah, so it's Debt by David Graeber. You've definitely seen it on the, on the Twitter sphere.
1: No, I've I've heard of it. It's just you know one of those. Books I haven't read yet. It I should I should download it and uh, and and give it a look. But a lot of people on the Austrian side of things would point to Nick Zabos shelling out money as saying no, that is an essay about how money is created, and it's by no means debt. It's a collectible, and then the collectible um, becomes a unit of account or store value unit of account, and then ultimately serves as money in its local area. Or in Gold's case, it turned truly global, right? So that's kind of. Uh, Nick Zabo and the Austrian way of thinking about money creation as the most salable good, mm. right? Versus debt. So the, if you're looking at the world from debt is money angle, then of course you're not going to think of it the same. Um, but I actually do believe that sound money, like if money that holds or increases its value slightly over time will actually influence people to not, you know, go on this ravid, chase for yield, which they are doing today. They're going anywhere for yield. Like, that's why the stock market is ballooning. I mean, you can argue that, hey, people say that crypto and Bitcoin is manipulated, but you can argue that fiat is manipulated. There's an institution called the Fed, and they manipulate it on a quarterly basis. So, I mean, you could say all of that is being manipulated to act a certain way, and as soon as you replace a central bank with an algorithm, that kind of changes everything. So... I don't think it's that simple just saying, hey, the way it's been so far is not, you know, the way or it's going to be the way it continues.
2: I, I don't disagree. I and, and if, it, if that took hold, like I, you know, I think it'd be fine. Um, I just don't see how, like, given those limitations. right? So in that in that example, you are counting on Bitcoin to continuously go up over time, meaning that the demand for the asset, right? Your demand for whatever the network is provisioning is going to be, you know, like, I guess, yeah, greater than the supply side. That means people are going to constantly want to be buying this Bitcoin. And I'm not yet sold on, on what is going to be driving that. I think you'll see periodic spurts um, of, you know, countries going to inflation. Though I do actually think Bitcoin, that there is a very strong bull case if we do see geopolitical tension Um Again, think about it, right? If countries, let's say, are indebted to each other and one country raises their interest rates, now that other country's debt just became a lot more expensive. So now all these countries kind of have an incentive um, to go into other assets to try and devalue whatever whatever asset their debt is denominated in, they want to devalue that so their debt is less. And I do think that when the incentive to break rank is really high, the cartel normally dies. So I don't know how it plays out. I'm I'm bullish on Bitcoin for the long term. I'm not sold on it. Like I just think it's too early to declare it this like saving grace that's done all this stuff. I think people got wealthy on it. There's a massive economy being built around it. I think it's a huge part of the future, uh, but it's too early to declare it king. Is my my view?
0: Reasonable, reasonable. Um, I'd actually like to. Actually, do I? Don't hesitate. Yeah. I'd like to go back to debt real, real quick. Um, and so one of my favorite topics was uh, uh, the, I can't remember where I read this. Oh, I, I think it was in Sapiens actually um, where you've all know a Harari talks about uh, the emergence of credit and uh, started to link it to uh, the emergence of the Renaissance and the establishment of somebody allowing to take credit upon themselves uh, created created entrepreneurship, created, um, belief in the future, uh, belie- a belief that the pie will actually grow larger. And so when you borrow from someone, you aren't stealing from their side of the pie. And so I have a, I have a, a ton of high hopes for Dharma's uh, success on Ethereum and hopefully being able to grow the Ethereum ecosystem pie. Uh, we see people like Amin Soleimani with the Moloch DAO trying to create, um, funding uh like a DAO for funding infrastructure on top of ethereum and I, I i it's kind of hard to put into words but i kind of see some sort of link between some entrepreneur coming to dharma and uh creating uh propo- like is this included in dharma where somebody creates a proposal for what they're going to do with the debt and then also the repayment terms is that something that's in, uh, involved with the dharma um that's yeah
2: so n- the short answer is no um Long answer, right? So that just relates back to like unsecured lending, right? Where the uh, borrower isn't really Mm -hmm. supplying, either they're under collateralizing their loan or they're just not supplying collateral at all. I mean, that's like a very hard issue to solve. You need like a lot of just kind of core infrastructure, mainly identity, and you need some type of recourse. Um, You know, there is no FICO score. There's not really enough on-chain data to develop a credit score. Um, you know, there are different ideas being floated around of kind of creating a market around uh, underwriting where underwriters would build their own kind of credit score then they would have to go do the diligence and they obviously wouldn't service any credit that they think is super risky. But again, these use cases right now are kind of few and far in between. Um, on the funding side of things, you know, if I can pivot here really quickly. So Moloch Dow is, is a super interesting um Concept, I think it's like I don't think it's a little too late because I think Ethereum is, is fine, um, but I think it, it kind of like points out the fact right that cryptocurrency projects they need they need sources of funding, especially in bear markets right. So in Bitcoin you kind of had this complete you know voluntary form uh, where people would come in become core contributors. Luckily, if you held on to your holdings, you did really well. Um, but I mean, still you had the formation of Blockstream, right? Which is a for-profit company and a lot of Bitcoin core developers work for Blockstream because that's how like they earn a living or they did. Now they're probably fine. With Ethereum, you have the same thing where they tried to, you know, do this non-profit structure. They did the EF. Um, but you know, the EF has run into, it's like, has run into operational issues as running a distributed, fully distributed global company, you know, is, is pretty difficult. And I don't think technology is really... Um, there yet, and I think what you saw is a lot of people flock to ICOs as a way to fund their, you know, endeavors. Um, so, kind of want to hear your guys' thoughts on, yeah, just funding crypto projects. Any models you thought are interesting, and kind of what you see there.
0: Uh, yeah, I think there needs to be a little bit more creativity um, with the the ICO structure. I think we saw like over ninety percent of ICOs just have. Uh, a not very good funding mechanism, which was, we'll sell you a token and we'll figure out what the token does later. Um, I think there is, and we actually don't even have to get all that creative. I think there's maybe two uh, token models that I know off the top of my head that I think are copy and pasteable for a number of different uh, businesses. Um, and so Melonport has one model where uh, their token uh, kind of operates as gas. And so, you know, you pay five cents gas to Ethereum and you also pay five cents to burn the Melonport token. And it doesn't even matter what Melonport's business model actually is, but like the, you could do this for anything that has, you know, relatively frequent transactions on top of Ethereum. So you sell your token and then you build your business and you say, every time somebody uses my business, a little bit of this token gets burned. And it's kind of like the MKR incentive structure where, um uh success of the platform leads to the deflation of the currency, the decreasing supply, and and then theoretically price goes up. And then there's this bank chain model where um, the uh, the stable coin that's minted by this bank token is kind of just a, a a currency that must be paid as a fee for a software license. So Spank Chain is just doing a bunch of work creating smart contracts on top of Ethereum to host their their business and therefore they get to charge fee for all the work that they've done using their booty payment token. So either of those two ways I think are relatively legitimate ways to, uh, integrate a token, uh, in support of your business. Uh, and so I, I think thousands and thousands of different businesses I think could be funded that way, uh, simply because, uh, people might want to be interested in, in buying a number of the tokens because they think the business will do well in, and result in the appreciation of that particular token. So I think I think that's that's a reasonable outcome to assume.
1: This is pure shitcoinery. I can't I can't stand it.
0: What what is wrong with that? That's just, it's just a blockchain based business.
2: I would add I, I actually do think that is kind of shitcoinery. Uh, <laughs> not to get into the details. I mean I I'm still yet to be convinced um, that a token that doesn't. That isn't used as some form of money can accrue a lot of value in the long term. So what about Cyrus, MKR? So Cyrus? So Cyrus, so Cyrus's post on MKR as insurance was interesting, but also MKR is a productive asset. It earns interest in the form of a stability fee and is burned. Um, I also actually do think I do think governance um, is very hard to execute on, but is actually undervalued because governance is one of those things that everyone rules out as will never work. Let's not – I mean, we don't have time to go into Decred, but uh, – <laughs> big fan of Decred. But in general, um, I do think that if something is used – if something is used to govern something of value, right, something that is stateful, you can't fork Maker and and fork the state over. Same thing with Augur. If you have something that has state and meaning it is valuable and worth governing – I do think governance assets that are used for governance will develop a premium because people will not move those assets, right? They're going to hold them to make decisions. Um, and again, yeah, going into Decred, if you can be a form of money and a form of governance, I think that's kind of a double whammy. Um, but I think governance is a very hard problem to solve. And you know, if you ask me about my ten-year view, I do think we're going to, you know, we're going to iterate and create some interesting exper- or experiments, but probably not in the short term. Hi, Christian. <laughs>
1: How wait? How long do we want to take this? We're we're running up against an hour right now.
2: I was just going to
0: come into the defense of the shit coinery, but uh, it's nothing I haven't already said before. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: um, you want to defend the shit coinery, and then uh, we can we can simmer this bad boy
0: down. Okay, so you the, you said that that most most or all tokens must be some sort of money in order to accrue value. Is that more or less right?
2: I think that the most valid. Accrue money, I do think work tokens make sense Mm because you can model that through an NPV. Mm -hmm. If the person performing the work will earn more revenue than they do by bonding or staking the token, that makes sense. But again, that's also kind of like cash flow. Um, I think the assets that are worth everyone's time are probably ones that are being used as a form of money or can develop a monetary premium or a call option on a future form of money. So Bitcoin, Ether decred monero zcash maker rep i don't think anything else well okay
0: so the booty token is a cash flow token because uh the spank chain platform will charge fees and it's just like it's just like there's an economy there's a spank chain economy and then it's the 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 spank chain token the spank token is the federal reserve or it's the government of of that economy and so it collects taxes uh just because it, it it all the perform- performers on the Spank chain software uh, must pay fees in order to use that software. Uh, and so that create because of the fees, that creates a discounted cash flow model, which you can evaluate.
2: I actually was not familiar with that. My understanding of the token was that you, you staked Spank yep. to get Booty, yep. which was just a dollar credit. Yes. So my first initial reaction was, why not use Die?
0: Uh, because but I didn't know that there was a cash flow. Yes, yeah, so so it doesn't use die because uh, the fees must be denominated in booty because that's what this bank chain system says it must be denominated by. It's 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 a software license. It's a software license, and so it, it's you must use that in order to use their software.
1: Let's just use. Or why? Why is this not just in die? Is going to be the why is this not just in Bitcoin meme? <laughs> it's the new meme. <laughs>
0: Is it, okay. So it's not in DAI or in Bitcoin because there would have been no funding to create this bank chain platform otherwise. And so they were able to sell in, this is about funding, right? And so they were able to fund their system by the promise of their own internal currency. And by the way, it's the, the booty token is totally abstracted. So like no one's actually using booty. It's just in the background.
2: I guess to your funding point, my question is um, if they were building like such a good business couldn't they just take transaction fees and earn money yes they I believe they are right so the performers, so why the couldn't,
0: performers earn ether or die but the right. spank chain team funded themselves with this
2: bank token with the fees from the from the booty so was is the real, okay my question is is the token more of a retrofit to fund the project or did they really think this was super valuable and better for them hmm than just building a business, allowing people to pay in ether and then taking a cut of that ether
0: as a fee. Uh, the first one, I wouldn't I wouldn't use the word retrofit, <laughs> but uh, uh, they, I mean, sure, they could have taken debt in the more traditional sense. They could have gone to a bank and be like, hey, we're gonna build this uh, platform and we're call it Spank chain and we're gonna have a booty, or, or you no, know, I guess we, if you're gonna, you, you, they could have financed debt traditionally or they could have just done an ICO. Like, There's nothing wrong with an ICO. Like, Everyone needs to get that. Why money. no equity? Why not an equity raise? Because who's going to fund the Spank chain? <laughs> Only people who invest in ICOs would be the people that fund Spank chain. Uh, <laughs>
1: it's because it's 2017, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> stupid as fuck not to do an ICO. Come on. How much did they raise?
2: Uh, not not, not, to make not this that much. It was like $27
0: no,
1: no,
2: no. no. They, only raised, they only raised like six or seven. That was, that was their goal. On, but I, 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 do, I do know the team, or I know some of the team members well. So I, I love the team. I think what they're doing is awesome. The movement that they're working towards is great. 20, $24 million. Was that the goal or
0: the total raise? Value of tokens sold in ICO according to ICO Bench.
2: Value of tokens meaning the outstanding supply, which they hold most of. Oh. Yes.
1: Yes. Shout out to Amin. Thanks for being
0: our first guest. Yeah, thank you, Amin. I'm I'm doing my best to defend
2: you here. No, big big fan of Amin, everything he's doing within the Ethereum ecosystem is awesome. And I think again, what what's the so there's there's a quote where it's like, Why is this not die? Is the new why is not Bitcoin? I think I think it was Dan who said uh, the new kind of phrases, I'm in I'm in I'm into spank chain for the tech. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Guys,
1: of ideas. damn, Max, what hell of an episode, man. Hour and three minutes, going to be like an hour and 10 minutes by the time we're actually done with all of our uh, shilling at the end here. Um, why don't you tell
2: people where they can find you, who do you want to hear from,
1: all that good stuff.
2: Yeah, for sure. Easiest place to find me is probably on crypto Twitter. We all love that. Uh, you can find me at Max underscore uh, Bronstein. Um, Spell it out. M-A-X underscore <laughs> B R O N S T E I N. Open to talking uh, to anyone. If you have any good thoughts, uh, any feedback on this podcast, feel free to reach out. If you want to uh, access Dharma Lever and you want to try out some trustless margin lending, definitely reach out on Twitter.
1: You guys see this guy's reports. His tweets are fantastic. Great follow. Make
2: sure to follow Max Bronstein.
1: David, where can people find you?
0: You can find me at Trustless Date both on Twitter and on Medium.
1: Fantastic. And you can find me at CK underscore snarks. You can find the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. Want to take a quick moment here to point you guys to Bitcoin 2019 at Bitcoin 2019 Conference on Twitter. It's going to be a fucking amazing event in San Francisco last week of June. Only BTC. We're bringing together the whole community. Max is going to be there. Definitely going to be there. David will probably be there if he's lucky.
0: I'll I'll find a way
1: I'll find a way He he might have to repent But um, outside of that David's definitely invited Tickets are only $100 $100 ticket to a legit two day conference guys Gonna be
0: shilling it for a while So get used to it Speaking of conferences If you're at East Denver Both me and Max will be there So stumble into us Say hi to us We will gladly talk to you Or at least I will I can't speak for Max
2: come by the Dharma booth if you're willing to take a, take out a margin loan I might talk to you
0: that's actually funny the, the first time I ever heard of Dharma was at East Denver a little over a year ago so too yeah.
2: that was a, the first ever Dharma Relayer was actually that company was formed at ETH Denver so it holds a holds a sentimental place in our hearts. a lot of homies gonna be at ETH
1: Denver kinda jealous but didn't get the invite guys not, not cool enough to get the developer pass so sexy suck
0: all right. Thanks everyone to listening for listening. Uh, anyone else? Last last words? Last statements? It's over. Peace.